0: leaders. What keeps you up at night? Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast series that expands the traditional term of what a boss is to tackle some of the most important issues in business. From business as usual and growing your market to everyday leadership issues or handling one in 100 year events, we aim to provide ongoing inspiration and education for CEOs, founders, management, shareholders and leaders of every stripe. The Sweet Spot is the future of work and business.
1: Today on The Sweet Spot, we've got a guest who doesn't need a very long introduction. A name that has echoed across generations and has become the epitome of kindness. I'm talking Susie Cato. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susie. You've had a monumental presence in the New Zealand media. Your work with children, you know, you've managed to inspire a whole generation of tamariki in Aotearoa. And that's really special. And I wanted to start off by asking about your journey, where you grew up, about your childhood, and what kind of inspired your work with children?
2: Mm, Okay, so many, many millions of years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in Kaikoya, up in the uh, Bay of Islands. And so it's a tiny little rural town, a service town. And when I was growing up, there was around 3,000 people dwindling. Um, I think the number has increased over the years, but it was um, a tiny little community, which I love because we pretty much knew everybody in the town or had some idea of who they were related to or, you know, um, so you felt like you were part of, of something, part of something big, although it was small. Hmm, does that make sense? <laughs>
1: yes, yes. Kind of something big, but small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Much like New Zealand itself, you know? Oh, exactly. I don't know. The team of yeah. five
2: million. <laughs> we were a team of 3,000. Um, and um, yeah, we knew everybody, and you could walk from one side of the town to the other, which you invariably did to get to school and things like that. Um, I was one of the first to get my driver's license. So I would fill the car full of my friends, and away we'd go all over the place. You knew everybody and everybody knew you. So there was a sense of security. There was like being a big part of a fano. So um, loved that about Kaikoi. Didn't love that it was so far away from the rest of our fano, which is um, primarily based in the Waikato. So I used to travel down to Hamilton to spend time with my grandparents and on both sides of my family. And so I guess felt like we were a part of a bigger community because we had all these favourite places that we'd stop and and have a bite to eat or a toilet stop or, you know, those sorts of things along the way, those little traditions that you build up as a family. And then I was very, very fortunate that once I was involved in media, I um, have been all over New Zealand, so that really is a sense of whānau right across the board. So I started out in Kaikaui, loved being a part of little theatre, Loved being a part of um, drama at school and, and speech-making and did quite well with the speech-making. Not too good in debating, however, because I got upset when people pulled apart my thing and, and the rebuttal. And I wasn't very good at interrupting and rebutting myself, so I didn't do so well there. But loved the drama of the stage and and assuming different identities and different roles because being quite a shy a gentle bookworm, I had these amazing dreams, but never thought for a moment that I would get to to live them out. And yeah, have oh. I lived them out to an extent? You know, you yeah. know how we all jump jump around the bedroom with the hairbrush, yes, singing to our favourite songs, absolutely, yeah. And we dream of being that person on the stage with hundreds of thousands in front of us. Wow. Yeah. I've done that with Christmas in the Park. Wow! And to be on television, and to, the only thing I haven't done yet is is drama. I'm getting involved in a few game shows at the moment, which is really exciting. But shh, I can't tell you too much about that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but, um, very nice. But I haven't done drama, so that is on my. Um, barrel list. I don't have a bucket list. I have a barrel list, so <laughs> something to look forward to.
1: Wow, very excited about that. Actually, mm, yeah, that should be really interesting. And so you, I think you started at the age of twenty one in television. Is that correct?
2: Ah, well, yeah, or I guess. Yep, just just before I turned twenty one. Um, first of all, I was in radio at Cable C F M in Whangarei, and I was one of the youngest female radio announcers. But that was a bit by accident, in that um, I'd started in the copywriting department. And I was writing advertisements and helping to schedule advertising and things like that. And then I got invited out on a promotion and started being the person that would call back to the station and say, Hey, we're down here at such and such and we're giving away this. Come on down, grab your packet of crisps and your sticker (laughs) and that sort of stuff. And um, then somebody called in sick. So I got a call while I was at the beach. Susie, can you be back at the studio by, I think it was, like three o'clock in the afternoon, we need you to be on air to fill in for somebody. <gasps> oh, my
1: goodness. The whole sand
2: in the shoes, <laughs> you know, the whole works turned up, was shown basically how to use the equipment and then thrown in the deep end. Wow. But I did okay and ended up with my own air shift from 10 until midnight. Uh, no, 7 until midnight, 7 until midnight, um... On the weekends. And that grew and that grew. So in the end, I was filling in for John Barry from 10 until 2, weekday mornings. And so that's prime it. time, isn't yeah. it? Wow. Yeah. yeah, absolutely loved it. And when John Barry was coming back from his extended holiday and I was going to be pushed back to nights, I went, mm, yeah, nah. And resigned and headed down to Auckland.
1: Okay. Was that hard moving to Auckland, being in such oh, a... Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I grew up... In such a small town, going to Whangarei, I used to go there to, to get my bubblegum jeans from Shantons, you know, to go to the it. movies and all those sorts of things. Um, so I felt quite at home in, in Whangarei, but coming to Auckland, it was only ever a place that we'd driven through, maybe it stopped it to go to the zoo or something like that, but I'd generally driven through it and it looked like a concrete jungle. It looked so big and so brash and so noisy Um, so I envisaged um, that I would have say maybe three months maybe in Auckland and then go to live with my grandparents down in Hamilton I thought that was more my cup of tea but I fell in love with the North Shore I really enjoyed my job and I fell in love. So. <laughs> oh, very nice. So yeah.
1: so that was around in your uh, early 20s mm. when you moved to Auckland. What was your first television show?
2: Um, so I was in radio first and then yeah. um, my first television show was the early bird show with yes. Russell Rooster. Now that's TV3's Flagstaff children's programme. So, yo doodle dood dudes, have a cocka-doodle day. That was Russell Rooster, Auntie Kitty the Kia, Dan Spike and Oz, who are the quack ups, and me. Now, I only came in to be chicken lips, basically. So when the the puppets were talking to the children, we had um, kids phoning in for competitions and all those sorts of things the rooster would have the same expression on his face whether he was saying, yo, dude, you've just won some Lego or, oh, mate, your dog just died. I'm really sorry. It'd be this big startled, funny face. So they got a human in to kind of help with that, the facial expressions and and, and that connection, but also because they were about to embark on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Tour and they wanted somebody to stay at home. And that was me. So, yeah, so I got to have the clipboard and throw to them for the live links as they travelled around the, the country and just had an amazing time. <sighs> and I was back at studio, but I must admit, I did love it and it was great. The interesting thing is the only um, training that I had for that was we sat around a desk on a Thursday night and read through the script. It had to be fair; it was loosely scripted, but, you know, we had to know what we were saying, who was saying what. Um, and then on the Friday night, I had about 20 minutes before news. the news cameras trundled off to do the news. So I had 20 minutes to practice in studio of getting the eyeline right and things like that. And then the following day, Saturday morning, six o'clock, we were live. Oh so goodness. I was.
1: What was your first live? Was that scary?
2: Oh my goodness. I don't know that I actually slept the night before oh. because I was only, what, 20? I hadn't turned 21 at that stage. And... It was wow! This is happening. This is real. I'm I'm talking to puppets. <gasps> this is just like Sesame Street or The Muppets. You know, yes. dream come true. Yeah. It was phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Was Alma pretty popular back then?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that must have been amazing. And then, so you and me mm-hmm. was your was the show after that, which I think. Was yeah. massively successful. I think it had over aired like over two thousand episodes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was. I mean, what was that like? And how did you? How did that gig sort of come about?
2: Okay, so um, after the early bird show, or while the early bird show was running, uh, another opportunity came up because the early bird show was weekend mornings and then school holiday mornings. Um, we were the children's department that just grew. Um, we had three pm, which was weekday afternoons. So they came to me and said, hey, would you like to host an afternoon show? I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. What have you got in mind? "Um, I don't know. (laughs) And they put a team together and we all sat around the table and devised the afternoon show ourselves. (laughs) So um, we had a big pumpkin that I would sit on, an oversized pumpkin. And then when a guest came, they got the pumpkin and I got an oversized boot, like a Cinderella kind of boot shoe thing. Um, And then we had Marty Mailbox, which was this massive mailbox, big, big eyes, and I'd put my hand into his mouth to get the letters out and things like that. And we had competitions. And again, we were linking all the cartoons together, but we started getting letters coming in. And they were letters that, you know, pen pals, um, David Hartner would come in and give people the Hollywood's addresses for all the stars because the interweb hadn't been invented back then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they had to find out um, the fan club addresses um, to send normal snail mail. So we'd do that. Um, but then we we had the opportunity to address some pretty important and pretty intense letters and they were kids asking for help. In various forms of abuse. So um, that kind of gave me a real appreciation for the medium that I was working in. You know, I was 20, 21. I was being paid to have fun. This was fantastic. Um, all the cartoons and the fancy dress. And and then by crikey, these kids were looking to me for advice and giving me a responsibility that I didn't really think that I had earned. Mm. So um, I handed in my resignation, but they um executive producer wouldn't accept it. Instead said, how are we going to help you support these kids? So, yeah, a newfound appreciation for the medium. And then TV3 decided that they wanted something new. So we kind of, uh, the early bird show folded, 3pm folded. There were about um, nine kids' shows, and I think there were only three left standing, and one of them was You and Me. Yeah. Now, I'm not the original host of You and Me. Pauline Cooper was the original host, and she'd been there for about 100 episodes, I think, when she realised that with a grown family, but a young family coming through, it was just a little bit too much of a workload for her, and she wanted to move on to Parents as First Teachers, which was all about getting parents to be involved in their child's education. So she moved off to do that, and I became one of 80 people, I think, who auditioned for you and me. And luckily, I had just started taking singing lessons, because the first thing they wanted me to do was sing, it's our time, kia ora, talofa. And of course, as part of that, there was the hello song, the goodbye song, and at least two other songs every episode. So... It was a big part, um, and i just started taking singing lessons, so I had a little bit of confidence to give it a go. So, gosh, there were much better singers than me. There were um, preschool educationalists who had been um, auditioned, but I got it, and I am so grateful because it's such a special, special programme. To know now, because I'm I'm doing live appearances around the country, to have the parents of little ones who used to watch me when they were kids coming up to me and saying, oh, my childhood, you know, those songs, that voice, it just takes me back. You know, that's such an honour. And it's so special. when we were making the programme, we were making it for preschoolers, and you thought, yay, if we are connecting with them, you've ticked all the boxes, you're doing the right thing. You had no thought that that would have such an influence or or be a big part of somebody's life 30 years later.
1: Yeah, no, that's incredible and that was actually one of my questions is that, you know, I feel like it's for you especially and you can see this in the content that you create and the initiatives that you're part of it's just so much more than just pure entertainment. It's a responsibility that, that I feel like you have, you know, that you feel like you have um, and that story that you've just mentioned where you almost were ready to you know, quit the television industry, uh, I mean, that's quite powerful, you know. And how, I guess, how has that shaped you as a person today? How has that experience shaped you as a person today?
2: Um, I guess that has shaped me because it gave me a whole new view of of the media and how I could make a difference in somebody's life. And it's interesting, you um, once I realised that, I remembered years ago when I was in radio and KCCFM, um, I had been given the opportunity to host the Midnight to Dawn shift several times, but I also got the opportunity to do the New Year's Eve show. So, um, And I, the way I do with my, my television is you try and envisage somebody at the other end of the radio. So you're talking into a microphone, you imagine a radio sitting in a house or in a car or whatever, and you try and imagine who it is you're talking to. So you only imagine one person. You don't think about the big masses, you think about one person. So having a conversation with them. And so to the course of the night, you know, people would be phoning in, we'd be doing requests, we'd be having fun as much as you can in a studio by yourself, knowing that there Mm -hmm. are, you know, a whole lot of individuals out there. Um... And as I finished for the evening, I thanked everybody for being me. Hey, thanks for joining me. You know, I would have been by myself if it wasn't for you type thing. Um, you don't realize the power of your words because it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that I bumped into a young man who said, oh my goodness, I recognize your voice. You're that girl off radio, aren't you? I was with you on New Year's Eve. And he said, it wasn't until you finished and said goodnight to us that I realized that I was actually having a good night. He said, it was my first time away from my family ever for New Year's. And I was up in Whangarei for work and I was by myself and I was set to have a really bad night. He said, tuned into the radio, all of a sudden it's midnight and we'd listened to some good tunes and all the rest. And he said, I realised that I wasn't alone. And you just go, Wow. So as a 17, 18-year-old, I'd gone, wow, filed that, forgotten all about it, until you realise the power of the medium with television as well, and that way of connecting, so... To be able to connect to people, to share a smile when you're walking down the road, to say hello to the checkout counter person with the grumpy face. Mm. It's kind of my mission. Not every day because, you know, sometimes I have bad hair days too, just (laughs) quietly. But I kind of make it a a mission that if somebody at the checkout doesn't look to be having a great day, you want to make sure that by the time you leave, they've at least smiled once, Mm. that they've... Talked about something positive in their life, and that they've they've done something that's lifted them a little bit. Because you never know, they might notice that the next person in the queue behind me isn't really smiling, and they might share the smile on. So,
1: yeah. oh, that's yeah. I love that, and um, that that is a, a conversation that I want to have later on, all about kindness, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's that's very important in this day and age. Um, but. I wanted to sort of get back um, to the conversation about um, after you and me was Susie's World and your own production company, Tree Hut, which is amazing. Um, I guess you see this a lot in in television where you get successful actors and directors go on to creating their own production company. Um, I wanted to know what that's like. I mean, is it a huge transition from hosting a show
2: to producing a show? Well, it can be if you leap into it, boots and all, all by yourself. It would be massive, but I didn't do that. I surrounded myself with a really good team. So let's face it, we are all given gifts and skills and things like that, and we can gather more skills as we go, but we're not going to know everything. And if we surround ourselves with people who know what we don't or know more than us, the team is going to be much stronger and you're going to be far better for it. So that's what I did. I surrounded myself with an amazing team. And to begin with, I was a script writer and presenter.
1: Right.
2: By the end of series four, I was executive producer and um, and although I had been involved heavily in putting the budgets and things like that together, I was pretty much doing that by myself by the end of it, as well as still presenting it and, yeah, Directing it? Yeah, well, <laughs> not directing it, not okay. directing. I, I did actually have directors there because um, even now when I've, I've got my own YouTube channel, there's always an extra pair of eyes to be able to see, think ahead and all those sorts of things. It's so handy otherwise I go cross-eyed. That being said, I I don't have a director at the moment for the YouTube channel but um, we've got a wealth of talent and um, so I was very fortunate to have such a great team around me for Susie's World.
1: Mm. And uh, and Tree Hut, how, how did the uh, concept and idea come about of creating your own production company? Has it, been, had it been something in your mind since you were in television or uh, someone suggested it to
2: you? Someone suggested it to me, okay. actually, yeah. So um, funding came to a natural end for you and me, yeah. and um, they I was approached by New Zealand On Air. They a little tap on the shoulder and said, we love what you do. Would you like to do more? And what would you like to do? And... They said, would you put your own company together or do you want to align yourself with somebody else? And I thought, right, I'm going to have my own company, then I can do all these things. You know, the barrel list started filling up. Whoa, what can we do? So um, I formed the company Tree Hut because uh, I'd, as part of You and Me, a lot of parents would say, where can we get the You and Me book with all the stories in it? Well, the, pr- the production company creating You and Me wasn't interested in publishing at that time. So I started creating my own stories and I put out activity books and the one, two, three and the ABC and then I started writing Susie stories and basically they call upon my own childhood and um, the imaginative play that I used to get involved in as a child and so we start out the Susie the farmer (laughs) and Susie has to put on her gum boots and her sun hat and instantly she's transported to being a farmer. You know, that's all it takes is she's not a, no longer a child, she's the head of the farm and she's off, you know, doing all these things around the, the farm. Um, with Susie the doctor, I put on an old dressing gown and that becomes my kind of white doctor's coat. It was basically reliving my childhood in a story. And then at the end of it, I'd put arts and crafts ideas so the, how the kids could make some of these sorts of things at home.
1: That's really interesting because mat time, like in my childhood, that's probably the thing I remember is mat time, mm. you know, in schools when the teacher would sit on the mat and the teacher would open up a book and read the book to you. There was just something so powerful and special about that. Oh, that, definitely. I don't know what it is. It's just that particular memory for me has just stuck in my mind. It's mm. mat time. And nap time, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Dancing with the Stars, that was awesome. And oh, that yeah. was quite unique from your usual projects.
2: Yes, so, yes. yeah, A tell us about dancing. Complete contrast, yeah. yeah. Um, dancing with the Stars again got the telephone call and was asked if I'd like to be a part of it. And I'd watched it in previous years and gone, oh, my goodness, I would love to be a part of this. You know, I grew up watching all the musicals, the Fred Astaire's, the Ginger Rogers, the, the big extravaganzas and the feathers and the tap dancing. And, oh, you know, gives me goosebumps now. So, you know, again, getting the chance to live the dream, I jumped at the chance. I had no fitness I rock a really good stationary chair. And um, so I actually had, the moment I signed the contract, I started walking. And because I knew that if I didn't start walking, I couldn't start running. There was no point doing dance training or anything like that straight into it because I had no fitness. So I just started really, really basically. And then I decided to go through um, as the average Kiwi So I'd go as far as I could given the skills that I had, but I had no extra dance training. I know others, the moment they were even asked, before they signed the contract, they started taking dance lessons. And I wish in hindsight I had now. (laughs) But, But I decided to go through. As the average Kiwi, and see if I, how far I could get. Mm. And oh my goodness, I loved it. I have had a fitness that I had never had before, which I no longer have. And um, just the hair and the makeup and the clothing and the, yeah, the spray tans were okay. <laughs> but the dance partner. I was yes. so fortunate with Matt. He was just yeah. such a lovely guy and really good at doing the fixed smile of lift. No other lift. You know? nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. While you were
1: dancing, yeah. he would yeah. give yeah. you that. Yeah. That's hilarious.
2: Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was. He was such a good dance partner and so supportive. Because I was. I was. You know. I'm normally big, baggy clothes, jeans, yeah. um, that kind of thing. Yeah. On television, but also at home. Mm. So to be each week, the fabric became shorter.
1: Right, and ain't.
2: you know that sort of thing that was a really a big challenge for me as well psychologically mm-hmm. yeah. as well. So yeah. um, he, gently encouraged me through that too and they were okay. such a good team. Yeah. Oh, the whole production team were okay. just marvellous. Yeah. gutted when I got um voted off the island though. Uh, <laughs>
1: but I mean I just remember this oh, I can't remember what song it was, but it was you. You had a yellow dress, mm-hmm. it was really feathery, mm-hmm. curly hair. Oh yeah. Um and a really nice like sparkly blouse. And that's that's I remember you. That's Susie Cato in Dancing yes, with the Stars. Stars, yeah. yeah.
2: When that was the last outfit that I ever wore. Right. Yeah, because that was the 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 dance that I didn't do so well and I didn't get the points that I needed. Yeah. The, a lot of people remember the one before which was thunderstruck and I had this big um almost like a whip off the back of my head and I was Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and of course everybody remembers the skin tight leather pants. <laughs> And the skimpy little top that I stepped out on to do my um, hip-hop dance moves in. Oh, I love that. <laughs> the, the, I love in the, that. In the trailer, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I just yeah. loved it too. Yeah. No, that, I love Dancing
1: with the Stars. Hopefully they're creating a new season.
2: They are. Are they? Yes.
1: Are you going to be on it?
2: I wish. I wish. But that was three years ago, and that's three yeah. more years of inactivity, so no, I won't be doing it again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, And I want to just touch on a topic that I feel like has been you know, a primary focus for many um, in the last few years, and that's mental well-being and, and mental health, uh, especially for leaders whose job it is to inspire others. You know, and I wanted to find out from you, I guess, how do you manage to keep that work-life balance and, and the importance of family uh, in, in 2021?
2: I wish I could say that I did keep a good work-life balance, um, and so this year for me is more about life work balance because I think we need to put life first instead of work. But um, uh, prior to having children, I mean I worked all hours of the day and night, and and you can do that when you're young and you don't have children. You, you can. So having children um, gave me the opportunity to change my focus completely because I'd been made redundant from. Three from MediaWorks with Susie's World. They didn't want that anymore, and it gave me a chance to take some time out. Right. I had that last series. As I say, I was executive producer, and I was doing so much and mm. and trying to run a business and all the rest of it. Um, I ended up miscarrying oh. again. So um, and it was in my final two weeks of recording um, Susie's World. So it really hit me and not having a project or or a production to work on gave me a chance to heal and for my body to heal and to actually get the glue actually sticking. So um, to take a couple of years and then have my first child was very, very special. And they were my priority. I got an opportunity to um be a radio announcer for Big FM, which was an Auckland only radio station when my eldest was just about to head to school, or she just headed to school, and my youngest was three. Um, so that was that was really interesting. That was ten till two. There's a bit of a juggle when you've got little people. Yeah. But um it was my kids that basically as they grew older. Saw some magazine articles. I've got a big box of all the articles, the archive things that I've been a part of. And they said to me, why aren't you doing that anymore, Mum? And I said, because I've got family now, you know. My focus is you two. And they said, go and do it. And then we can come and do it with you. So they were basically a foot in the middle of my back. And so I started more live appearances and and that sort of thing. So they were fully supportive. We sat down and talked about Dancing with the Stars. um, And they were fully supportive. I don't think any of us realised just how big or how much effort was involved in that for the whole family. It meant my husband had to do everything. I was gone first thing in the morning and I was back in time for dinner and then I was gone after dinner back out seven to eight hours a, a day of dance rehearsal oh and things like that. It was huge commitment. Mm-hmm. So, But it's about making sure that you've got quality time, even if it's not quantity. In fact, quality time... far outweighs quantity time with your family if you're all going to be sitting there with your devices Mm. or you're not actually communicating. Mm. So family is so important, more so now than ever. And I think, um, you know, our lockdowns gave us that opportunity to really experience that Mm. and to to treasure it because once it was gone, once we were out of lockdown and life began to build up again, Mm. I think many of us realised that that was something yeah. that we were, we were missing.
1: Yeah, and also, you know, what you just said before is sitting down with your family and, and talking about some of the opportunities that you have in your career, you know, because that's very important because it kind of impacts your whole family, whatever mm. career you have and opportunities you get. So, yeah, I totally agree with that.
2: We don't always have that opportunity to take our families into consideration with our careers because if you're the main breadwinner, or, you know, whatever challenges life puts your way. And there are times when I go, mm, weekend away, or shall I go and do this paid job, which means that we can have an even better weekend away, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. You have to take all those sorts of things into consideration. And my kids were an old enough to talk to them about that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, whereas when you've got younger kids, you just have to make decisions on their behalf. Mm. But when you can, just having a conversation with your kids is just so important. more listening, than talking at times too. Okay. That's really key.
1: And um, you did some awesome initiatives during the pandemic. Um, mm. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, I was so fortunate to be a part of Home Learning TV. Yes. That was brilliant. Yes. So I'd um, contacted uh, the Ministry of Education to see if they were doing anything because um, it was like, wow, well, all these school kids are going to be home. I've got 266 episodes of Susie's World of Science, experiments, Extraordinaire. We need to be utilising them. So I said, hey, if you're doing anything... Would you like to utilise them? They said, yes, please. And would you like to make some more? In fact, can you help us with junior maths as well? Yeah. So um, my husband and I learnt at home how to utilise the equipment and he even learnt how to edit because it was just too difficult to, to get the footage out. Um, and so we created, oh, I can't remember how many episodes, 70-odd episodes of um, maths and science wow. um, lessons for kids, which was great because it reconnected me with a whole lot of families that it might have grown away from from the content that I was creating, and um, introduced me to a whole new generation of kids. It was exactly, fantastic.
1: that's there. That. I mean, that's that's my next question. Is that you know you you meet so many different kids and 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 obviously now they're generation Z mm. um so they are kind of different because they've grown up with technology, so I guess has your interactions and teachings changed at all with the more younger kids in um, a word no okay
2: no not at all um kids are. Kids. You take them away from their device right. and they are kids. You know. They want stories, they want songs, they want to have fun. I was at a um I've been invited to a number of Bunnings uh, relaunches and things like that over the last little while. So I was in Bunnings in Monaco mm. just recently. And as part of that they get me to be involved in the DIY. So the DIY table's swamped with kids and their hot glue gunning little pebbles on to make their families or to make faces or pictures or whatever they wanted to do on these boards. And then we did that for about an hour, and then I set up a little space in um, a whole lot of the outdoor furniture, furniture. And we had this little space there, and I sing, it's our time, kia talofa. And all the parents go, <gasps> and all the kids go, oh, that's cool. And then I sing, sprinkle a little sunshine over you, which I released a couple of years ago with Kath B. And the kids go, oh, I know that from school. And we do heads, <laughs> shoulders, knees and toes, and we do a whole lot of songs. And I read um, my stories. Um, during lockdown last year, I released The Kauri Family. Which is, what's that there? Can you see? I wonder what that thing can be. And Scholastic had released it as a book. So I turn the pages and we sing along and I give them the clues. They try and work out you know, what creature am I giving clues about now, which is really, really cool. And then I did something completely different. I haven't done it in any of the other stores. I said, hey, see those boxes over there? go and grab a box, see how many you can get, and let's build something, because we're builders. So I said, how about we build a tower? And we had all these little mini towers that only got up so high, and I said, hey, these are great, but how tall can we get them if we work as a team? And so in the end, we had older siblings lifting the little ones up into the air Mm. to put the blocks on top, and uh, they did come down on us, but they were all empty boxes, so you know there was yeah. no damage, no children were harmed in the making of this tower. Yeah. Um, but we then went on to um, okay, what else can we make? A castle, somebody said. So we built a castle wall with turrets, and then all the kids got behind it, mm. and I took a photograph, and you know that sort of thing. And then, mm. wow, for maybe an hour or two, those kids were going to have an adventure with oh, just I a love cardboard that. box. So. Yeah. They're no different. And they were kids. I think the eldest was about 12 and the youngest was about two. Wow. So, yeah.
1: Very nice. Mm. Um, And this is my sort of, I guess, last question, second to last question, but it's one that – even our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has has mentioned a lot in the last sort of year and a half, and that's kindness mm. and the power of kindness. And I feel like in this day and age, where we're surrounded with so much technology and, and um, social media, um, it, it's all it's very easy to lose yourself, and it's very easy to be mean to people. Oh yes, yeah. but I feel like you're someone who's always been so true to yourself and those. And others around you, you know, and 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 you can definitely see that in your in your social media accounts and stuff is that you're always true to yourself. So tell us about the importance of kindness because this is something that you've sort of maintained throughout your career, you know, and even like you said that you were you would go on a shopping trip and you would want to make people smile. Yeah.
2: Well, as a child, um, if you are bullied, yeah, you can cycle around and become a bully yourself. And I wouldn't say that I was bullied as a kid. There were some kids who, you know, cato rhymes with potato, you know, all those sorts of things. You know, you get called names and, and so on. So, oh, there was a couple of little bully incidents. But, um... You learn as a child what a difference kindness makes. And when somebody compliments you or makes you feel good, oh, my goodness, it can mean the world. So that's something that I've always been aware of. And my family have always been good at looking out for each other. Oh, we give each other good ribbing as well. But it's not malicious or anything like that. So it's an environment that I've grown up in. And then all the programs I've been a part of have been, have reinforced that, particularly you and me. And because if you teach kids kindness at a young age, you know, you're role modelling it and they are going to to take that tenfold. So if you're mean, my goodness, children will be mean tenfold if that's the environment that they're in. So it is so important and it is so easy to do. I mean, look, it is much easier to find the negative in things. It can take a lot more effort to look for the positive. But I am somebody who has bad hair days. In fact, there have been times in my life when I haven't wanted to get out of bed for whatever reason. If we are kind to ourselves, if we can knock down that negative head talk, my kids know that I'm perhaps doing negative, negative head talk when I start saying to myself, okay, radio," um, because I'm, yes. I've identified that I'm saying something negative like, oh, for goodness sake, Susie, come on, you know, mm. that sort of thing. Um I, I can identify it now and I will change the topic and I will move on and I will be positive. So it's important for me to do that for myself, but it's important for me to be able to share that with others. And look, um, our Prime Minister did an amazing job of sharing kindness during COVID. And we need that more than, than ever now at this time mm-hmm. because oh, we've, we've had so many incidences of, of racism and, and so on. and It is so unnecessary. To be able to support each other, to, to be kind to ourselves, to be kind to others, is just going to make such a huge difference.
1: And that's really interesting that you talk about that negative feedback that you have in your mind. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, okay, Susie, right, Susie. It's almost kind of like referring to yourself in the third person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I read something the other day when they say that that's that's a really good strategy to get rid of the negative chatter, is referring to yourself in the third person because it makes it seem like someone else is telling you to snap out of it. Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's face it. um, We can give... Our family advice, again a a perfect example as a parent, I will give my children advice about things. One of the things that we've been doing for years is a breathing technique. As we're going off to sleep, when our minds are so busy, we breathe all the way down to our feet, and we breathe out again. And as we breathe out, we let it all go. Do it with me now, just take a big deep breath. All the way down to your feet, and as you breathe out, yeah. We just let it all go. Yeah. So we do that in, of an evening. I don't have to do that with the kids anymore. Mm. But um, that was one thing that they were able to take on themselves um, and they were prepared to hear from me. Other things they don't want to, and it's that inbuilt child, I am my own person, yeah. you know, mum isn't always right. And then somebody else comes in with the same advice and they go, oh, yeah, this works really well, mum. And you go, hmm. I can't say I told you so, but...
1: Yeah. And I guess last question, what has been the most important life lesson you've learned in your career?
2: Mm. 30 years in the industry, 53 years on this planet in a couple of weeks' time. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think one of the most important life lessons I have had is to not take myself too seriously. Okay, so that's that negative head talk, that is the um, self-criticising and judgement, and that is putting too much emphasis and power on getting it right and, um, and not making a fool of yourself and all those sorts of things. Being a preschool presenter allowed me to be the kid that I wasn't as a child. I started, I was one of the first, one of the founding members of um, Northland Youth Theatre. So I was one of the youngest, too, actually, joining um, the youth theatre in Whangarei. And I sat there, I didn't know any others in the group, and I sat there, at all prim and proper, well behaved, while everybody else kind of slouched in, they knew others, da, 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 da. I was coming from Kaikoi, others were coming from other parts, and a lot of them from Whangarei. And they all looked at me it kind of awe that I must be some intern or young lecturer or something like that. Right. And here I was. I think I was 13. And <laughs> yeah,
1: that's <laughs> but, hilarious. But
2: because it was a style of, of uh, clothing that I was wearing at the time, it was all very uh, retro and very prim and proper, kind of yeah. you know, little buttoned-up yeah. tops and you know all that kind of stuff. It was just who I was at that time. So I missed out on a whole lot of the camaraderie until – I loosened up and they realised that I was actually one of them, not one of the not one of the teachers type thing. So um, yeah, just enjoy life, make the most of the moment, don't be too hard on yourself. Mm. you'll get knocked down, but you'll get back up again and just have fun in the process. Don't expect too much of the day, don't expect too much of yourself and give yourself surprises surprise yourself with how good you actually are and pat yourself on the back and things like that. Those have been, that's been the biggest life lesson for me.
1: Wow, that was very special. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a very special chat. Um, Thank you. And yeah, I've, I've learned so much today and I'm sure our listeners um, have had a great um, have had a great time as well. If our listeners want to reach out to you, um, where can they do this? Your website, yeah. your LinkedIn? So,
2: yep, um, uh, Susie. At susie.co.nz. So that's susie, S U Z Y, at susie.co.nz. I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I sometimes tweet, but I'm a bit of a twit when it comes to Twitter. I don't know how to use it properly. And yes, you can find me on LinkedIn as well.
1: Great. And TikTok, of course. Oh, yes. with All the cool dance moves. (laughs) Are you on TikTok? No. Well, I I am, but I should create a video. Everyone keeps telling me, create a video. I've just got an account and I haven't even opened it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, uh, there
2: you go. There's uh, your your challenge. (laughs) my challenge. (laughs) Susie
1: Cato has told me to create a video on TikTok. (laughs) I will, I will. All right, that's fantastic. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please like, review or share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Alexander PR or follow the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thank you for listening.